Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about a dynamic that I hear a lot about, this idea of if you're a powerful, successful woman and you intimidate men, how do you find a relationship, a woman who's confident in herself, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, well, yeah, I hear this all the time. So I brought on a good friend of mine who just wrote a book recently on that, who of course uh, certainly is a powerful woman. Now, there's some interesting things that I think created that dynamic, you know, the patriarchy influence, you know, where women weren't invited to pursue their passions, their dreams to be powerful and that they needed to be like men in order to be powerful also has an influence there. Again, I say this with no judgment. I'm just talking about the things that influence why we might become that way, the feminist revolution and you know, watching as patriarchy and the Divorce Act was inputted, at least in Canada. I know something similar occurred in the United States. I can't speak to Europe and other parts of the world. But, you know, as divorce became um, something that people were actually allowed to do, that's fucking weird that it wasn't allowed. You know what I mean? And like in Canada, you had to get approval from a provincial body to get divorced before 1967. Then you needed to be separated for three years. And then in 1986, they changed the Divorce Act that you only needed to be separated for a year. So you saw massive increases in divorce in those times. But what's interesting is that when we look relationally, the dynamics that have occurred, you know, it's we watched women not have money, not have be able to support themselves because of the relational dynamic that patriarchy created with these breadwinner families. And there's so much to that, the complexity of that. But it's interesting how it can create this hyper power driven um, for safety and that type of thing. But there's another side to this, the response to feminism and watching that. And that is how men have responded in terms of becoming uh, pushovers, complacent, what we would call like a nice guy. That guy's too nice. So I'm definitely having another person on, Robert Glover, who wrote the book No More Mr. Nice Guy about that dynamic. So we're not just covering one side. We're going to cover how everyone has sort of been influenced by relational dynamics we've inherited, media, all those things. And it we're not just going to focus on the female's experience, but also how that has shaped men. And I encourage you, no matter your gender, to listen to this because we can often adopt these different types of energies uh, in response to wounding we've experienced or wounding we have observed. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this week's episode where we cover some of that. And I can't wait to have Robert Glover on to cover the other side because, you know, that conversation about Guys who are pushovers, who don't have boundaries, who are nice, but there's something not attractive about them. Yes, it's because the complacency in and of itself has an emotional hook. I'm going to do all these things for you, but I'm actually going to expect things from you. It's not just altruism. And, and that can be codependent behavior no matter the gender, but it certainly is a fear of being uh, seen like men we've, you know, watched in the news and media and not wanting to be like, uh, you know, let's say, for example, our father was in, you know, when we watched our parents' relational dynamic or something like that. Again, this isn't picking on genders. This is more just looking how these things have influenced us and how they might influence our relationships today and what we observed in media and what we observed in religion and culture and movies you know, all these types of things. So I'm really excited to chat this week with Christine Chang. 
I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, The deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. And... Before we jump right in there, please, wherever you listen to this, give it a five-star review, a written review. Make sure you share the episodes you love. Tag me on Instagram, and I'll uh, give you a reshare if I can, if I see it. And much love to all of you. I really appreciate that we have this space and experience to be able to have these conversations. Much love. And without further ado, here's Christine Chang. Today, I have a very special guest, one of my best friends. Christine Chang, welcome. Thank you. I'm trying to so, be professional. Yeah, please be very postured and very professional in this. Everyone's very concerned listening. <laughs> Christine just wrote a book called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women. And I want it. So congratulations, because I know writing a book, I haven't done it. So I know it's a big undertaking because I don't want to do it yet. Yeah, it definitely is. But if you have, a, I mean, if you blog a lot, what you do, and I blogged a lot. That's where it started from is my blog posts. And I started dumping them into a file and then just went from there. Well, I know for like, based on what I experienced on my platform on Instagram and on Facebook and the podcast too, a lot of the conversation is around, okay, well, I'm doing everything in life. I'm crushing it. I'm a woman. I'm powerful. I'm, you know, in my, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. And men are intimidated by me. Or like, I can't find a good guy. I hear these types of things all the time. 
And I think there's two parts to this conversation. One, if you're a male listening to this and you're like, ah, geez, there's still a piece for, you know, as men, for us to discover in this heteronormative sense that we're talking about to, and this can be energetic too, but to look at how we can alter ourselves as men, maybe not alter, but like learn and grow. And on the other side of like, what is it about that state that can be scary? And what is it that gets in the way of being open to love, but yet open to everything else? Right. I wrote this book based on my own experience before I met my husband. And it was a long process for me of over five years of being mostly single. There were flings. There's a lot of online dating. That was sometimes a nightmare, oftentimes a nightmare, but if it was good, like those didn't last. And It was just such a frustrating process. And there's a lot of relationship information out there. Mm -hmm. And I did. I read a lot and I learned a lot. However, I wrote this book because I wanted, like when I was going through it, I just felt like no one understood how I truly felt or I was afraid to say it. Like, does anyone actually get how shitty I feel right now and how frustrated I am and how how much of a failure I feel like when I can't get a relationship to work. But yeah, you're like high performing, you know, for people listening who might not be familiar with you outside of, you know, this new context of writing this book about love and relationships, you've always blogged about them in the context because Christine is uh, and has been a very successful wedding photographer. And so you've certainly witnessed a lot about relationships. We've had extensive conversations about them. So I'm happy you put this all together in this in this magical little experience for people. Yeah. And the, the photographing weddings helped me a lot. I, I was naturally drawn to being around love and relationships of all sorts, not just between the bride and groom, but just like families in general. Like I wanted that. And so weddings allowed me to, you know, to witness examples of relationships that I wanted and also relationships maybe that I didn't want either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's funny how everything's kind of led up to to this. And so my interest has always been, I mean, I love outside of my profession as a photographer and now being an author, you know, I've always had an interest in personal growth and exploring self and living your best life and being happy and being a high performer too. I think a lot of people, you know, you can get all the trophies and accolades that you want or like make all the money that you want. But I know a lot of people who are still not happy, you know, so I always, I'm always wondering like, what's, you know, what are the tools and what are the best ways to get that? And one of the things for me when I was single is I really wanted uh, love, like a life partner to share with. Mm -hmm. I probably wanted it too bad at some point where it's like desperate. (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) When you see a happy couple on a corner and you're like, fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) The envy, envy is not a great place Uh, to be in, but I think natural for everyone to kind of go through. Yeah. Well, some people, I I feel like it comes easier to than others. I mean, I have relationships. Yeah. They're, I'd say they, they're good at it in that, And those people are the ones that I feel like didn't understand how I felt because they would ask like, you know, like, like, what is that? Like, what is the feeling, you know, like if it doesn't work out, but you still get to have like a good three months with someone, da, da, da. And I'm like, it's not like that. I'm like, you don't have a pain point attached to, you know, like I, I don't feel good enough or, you know, all that. I have that. (laughs) And they didn't understand. So I had to like, 
But I had other conversations with other people who have experienced the same thing. Hundreds of conversations with many women and men. And so that's another reason I decided to write the book. And if you're out there and you're hearing this, just know that there's nothing wrong with you and you're not alone because that's the number one thing that I felt when I was going through it was, is there something wrong with me? No. <laughs> that I that I can't find love, that I can't hold it. Is it that I can't find love slash I can't keep a relationship or like what's the... I did feel that. I felt I can't keep a relationship. One of my affirmations I had to say to myself was a lot was I am lovable. That was really helpful for me because I felt like I wasn't lovable romantically. And so therefore I felt like I had to do things to keep the other person attracted to me or interested in me. And of course that's not a good place to be because then you end up doing some stupid ass shit that just like <laughs> energetically like is repelling actually to the other person. Yeah. It's so compliant. Like it becomes performative love, which, you know, usually comes from being kids and, and like getting rewards for getting A's and getting, you know, getting noticed for achieving. And which I think is great because it, I don't think that's great, but I think it's great that in a lot of ways that fuels achievement, but then it leaves this gap in like my worth is found in my achievements. And then there, there is some sense of, there can be some sense of like, do you love me for what do I achieve or do you love me for who I am? Right. And I wanted someone to love me for who I am. Mm -hmm. um, I was clear on that. And I think the clarity is very important in, you know, knowing what you want. Cause some people will like, will settle or not settle, but to them, a relationship is about achievements and money and fame. And they're fine having that, you know, I'm like, I, I mean, that's nice too, but I want depth, you know, I want intimacy yeah. in my relationship. That's the thing that I'm going to think about when I'm my, I'm on my deathbed and that's true happiness. So focusing on those things, um, asking myself those important questions helped me get clear as well as doing the healing. Yeah, I know. As having been along your side in the dating journey, you know, and each other, observing each other through our ups and downs in love. I mean, your husband, I love him. He's just the most fantastic guy. I know. Yeah. He's a gem. He's awesome. And he's so patient with me, which is that's. Uh, one of the top qualities that I wanted in a partner is someone who's. Oh, you're going to need it. That was true. That too. Yeah. And that it's being realistic too about what you emotionally need. Because if, you know, if you say you want like a high performing partner and what's sexy that do, they do this and that. And, but that usually comes from someone who's really impatient. So it's a balance, but I had to. I had to decide what were the things that were most important to me. Not saying that someone's patient can't be, you know, a high achiever either, but the patience part, the emotional feeling emotionally safe was very, very important to me because it was lacking in almost all my previous relationships. And I'm so sensitive and it just, it never felt good to me. And I also, I asked my therapist, because actually one of my couples gave me this piece of advice. Uh, we were getting ready to walk into their reception. They were doing like their grand entrance. So there's always a quiet moment I have before them. And I was single at the time. And he's just like, oh, you're single? He's like, you know, he's like, hmm, who do I know here? And he said, you know, before I met Catherine, I asked my therapist, like, what 
would be a good match for me, like mm-hmm. emotionally. And he said what his therapist told him, his now wife, Catherine, matches it to a T. Because, I mean, they they know, you know. So I asked my therapist, I was like, hey, <laughs> what ideally would be good for me? I just, I, w- I want to be clear on it. And actually, patience was this, the first thing that she said, a patient partner. Mm, I think about like in the research that looks at what are the characteristics of the, the top characteristics of the best relationships when we look long-term from the Gottmans and in their research, it's kindness and generosity. And I would, you know, patience is obviously a component of those two things. And I often think about how often we trade in other things for like, we trade in those things for other things. Like we want someone who's, who is a certain, has a certain type of job or makes a certain type of money or does this, but we forget about like, at the, at the end of the day, you will always want someone who's patient and kind, who, who takes the time to listen and understand you. And we don't hold that standard often. Right. Right. And it's, it's important to feel good and feel, I mean, at least for me, that was what I wanted in a relationship was to feel safe and the best version of myself and that I could be the full expressed version of myself so that I can go out to the world and be the best version of myself. So that's what I looked for, for my, uh, intimate, my most intimate relationship um, with Pete and Pete gives it to me. So I think getting clear on what you want, because some people, maybe they don't, maybe they're not as sensitive as me, you know, when they're fine. I mean, I've had some girlfriends who, when they gave birth, their husband wasn't the one in the room with them. It was one of their best girlfriends. Like that was the most supportive person. And they were fine with that. For mm. me, I would want my husband to be that supportive person. She and I'd want to be in there. <laughs> not, not your room, but in the room. And I'll be outside while you're doing it. But, you know, I think that's, that's so true. And I get that for other people, the priorities in partnership are different. And for some people, as you said, wealth and fame and status will drive their relational choices, which I would argue are actually all systemic influences, not actually soul and heartfelt influences and desires. We just think we have to do that. And that's what'll get us safety rather than knowing that safety can be cultivated through emotional connectedness. And that will be so much more than another zero added to the end of a bank account or a paycheck. Oh, totally. It's way more fulfilling. Because I, I I mean, I, yeah, like I said, I have friends who they make a lot of money and I feel like they're not, they're always not happy or not fulfilled. And then, you know, you try to make more money and then what, you know, and then what after that? Well, I'm curious because as you, you know, journey through the high performing, you know, the, it really in your career, there was not really another step, you know, like you hit the top of the pinnacle of wedding photography of you did as much. I know that for you, balance was important. So you always cultivated like your passion for travel was coupled with your job. And I always admired that about you that like your prior to, there was like a zero tolerance for not, you know, achieving and getting the things you wanted. Right. Cause a big part of my identity is that is my passions is fulfilling my passions and so for the book I wrote, it's like some people ask, like, what what is a strong woman? Because I said the, the book is for strong women. What does that mean? Or independent. Mm-hmm. And one of the characteristics is having a strong identity outside of a romantic relationship. Yes, I want to be supportive for my partner and 
there for him as well. But there is a part of me that has other stuff that I associate with me. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is fulfilling to me. And if I don't do those things, I'm ba- like, I feel like dead. If you're not nurturing and cultivating your own sense of self. Yes. Yeah. And I, in that line of like independent woman, you know, that can often be independence can actually be uh, walls built around. So there's like, do you touch on that in the book, that idea of like guardedness versus openness? Oh, Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people who do come off as strong do have a lot of walls up. They've been hurt. Yeah. Even if they don't show it. And a lot of these women, I mean, we're confident in, in other areas of our life. You know, so sometimes people are surprised when, I mean, I would have people ask me like, why aren't you married yet? Almost like they were confused. Like, and then I just like, didn't want to talk about it. I'm like, I don't know why I'm not married Like, yet. something wrong it. with you? Like, why haven't you done that yet? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I'm curious. I'm so sorry. I lost my train of thought. Whoa. About the independence versus oh, yes. know, where it's guardedness, you know, yes. masquerading. Yes. And being guarded. I do talk about being open because myself and a lot of conversations I've had with other people, they say they want a relationship, but I can tell they're not open to one. It's it, almost like what they say they want and their actions don't match. So for example, mm. they will comment on something like trivial about someone that has nothing to do with what they say they want. You know, like they say, you know, they want someone who makes them feel safe, best friend. But then they'll say he's like, you know, not that sexy or boring or, you know, something like that. Or like, I don't like his hairline and, you know, all these things, which, of course, you need to be attracted to your partner. Yes. But doing the work to stay open, I think, again, being clear on what you want so that you see that person when they show up, because if I didn't do the work before I met Pete, I probably wouldn't have seen him as a potential partner. And I had done so much work. Like the minute I looked at him, I, I had a hunch, like this could be it. This could be something good. I recognized it. And I think if I didn't do the work, I probably would have brushed him off. Like he's not, he's not aggressive enough, you know, and, or he's too nice. (laughs) I mean, he's about as chill as it gets. Oh my gosh. Yes. He takes chill to a whole other level. And I could understand if I was someone who was, you know, in relation experienced meeting Pete, you'd be like, is he interested? Is he, cause he's just like so cool (laughs) all the time. And sometimes that, I mean, it's, I love that about him that he's not super reactive and he is very chill, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, it comes with the flip side that sometimes I'm like, you know, like I like give him a gift and like, you know, he's not the person that's going to like scream and be like, oh my gosh, it's more like he doesn't, it doesn't show in that way. Although I know he appreciates it, but sometimes I'm like, can you be more enthusiastic? <laughs> <laughs> can you, do you have any um, elation? Can you get you have an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> do you have an opinion? Why well, it's so when you think about pre before Pete and after Pete, so before Pete, like, what were the types of men that you were going for? What types of men were you pursuing? I know a few of them, so I'm interested yeah. about this audit. Emotionally unavailable because it was safer. Intimacy scared me, so I was afraid to be seen. So, yes, I would choose emotionally unavailable. In general, like, very masculine, very charming. And 
that was also a distinction I had to make. Actually, when I realized what my core value is, which is integrity, mm-hmm. that helped me filter out people really quick. Because sometimes it's hard to, you know, if someone comes along, they're really charming. Oh, wait, but they're showing me they don't have integrity. That's an automatic no. But the charm is like, I always gravitated towards it. You know, charming. And yeah, those are probably the top qualities. Yeah, I think the biggest one was emotionally unavailable. So do you think, is that in your experience, like when you think about who the book is for and independent women, what is the greatest challenges that you see within that group of people, which I I think is so many, because I think, you know, I want to acknowledge that so much of independence or like the identity of independent women, obviously cultivated by Beyonce, but also that is in response to the systemic pain that's been experienced through like the trauma of patriarchy through people losing their safety and security when divorce occurred, you know, when there was like a male breadwinner in a family and then, you know, people literally lost their support system and their safety and their security. So I get that there's this sort of like recoil that goes to the far end, which there's so much health in having an independence within a relationship and, as long as it turns into interdependence where it's not enmeshment and codependence where you lose yourself or overt, like you're an island trying to be in a relationship, that there's this balance. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the big things I had to learn being so independent was letting people help me mm. because I didn't, it, it made me, it made me feel so uncomfortable to let people help me. Like even my f- girlfriends, I mean, there was one night I was having a dinner party and, you know, they were helping me clean up afterwards and I didn't even want them to help me clean up. I felt so uncomfortable. I'm like, stop, stop. And one of them looked at me and she's like, oh my God, let us help you. And I always remember that because it's such a little thing, but it's, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a problem. I need to learn to let people help me. So as I dated more, I got more comfortable letting people, which is, I mean, letting them help you is basically letting them love you. Yeah. I identify with that. That's for sure. Been, you know, where it's like so easy to support other people or maintain myself than like allow people to show up for me and hold me when I need it, even though I don't want to be held in those moments. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, for my birthday, you flew out to Oregon and that was just such a meaningful thing. Cause it's not like I asked you to, you were like, I'm coming. Here's when I'm going to be there. You know, and that was such, that's such a beautiful thing because it reminds us that we don't have to carry the world alone and we can't. No, you can't. And it's like you said, it's about the balance too, you know, and personalities. So yes, I acknowledge there's a part of me that's independent. And by the way, my husband, Pete, he's very independent as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just easy between us because we both understand that. So there's not really one person who's you know, always like, I want to spend more time together. We understand. I'm like, he has his soccer, his guy friends, you know, his career and the things that make him, him. And I have the things I love to do. I still travel alone sometimes. And he completely understands that he's not, it doesn't intimidate him. He, he loves it actually. And I actually wasn't sure in the beginning because so many of my previous partners weren't completely comfortable with it. I mean, after we met, I went to the UK. I went to London to live for three months because I always wanted to do it. And I had planned it before I met him. And then I was just like, are you sure like that you feel okay with me taking off all the time like this? 
And he's like, babe, he's like, that's why I chose you. You know, he's mm. like, you're confident going off on your own and doing your own thing. That's why I chose you. That's about the best thing to hear. Yeah, it feels so nice. It feels so nice for it to be easy and safe and just to feel like I can be me. Because there was a lot of childhood pain around that, about me feeling like I couldn't be myself without being criticized or judged. And I hated how it felt, even if it wasn't now knowing it's not personal. You know, a lot of it was cultural, too. My parents, you know, emigrated from over in Asia, you know, they're Chinese. And so naturally, the the language can come up as criticism, even though my mom like doesn't hear it as that. I did, you know. Oh, man, I've heard your mom on your Instagram stories. It comes <laughs> off as criticism for sure. It's <laughs> like, you know, that's that. I think of all my friends who are Asian, and you know, I have a lot of them. It's like yeah. all their moms have this like harshness to them that I'm like, whoa, calm. Like I, I know that I'm used to an Irish mom, so maybe the 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 sound of an Irish accent is different than you know, Chinese being spoken very harshly sometimes. Yes. I mean, that's the nature of the language and the culture. Well, I think of that like tiger mom, you know, that's what oh, your yeah. mom reminds me of, of that. Oh, she's queen, that queen of this figure. I have a question. Can I ask you a question on here? Because sure. you're a guy. So with, because I had the conversation with P and our neighbor, Jake, who's also married to a very strong woman, and actually all of Pete's friends are similar to him, who are more type B, very stable careers, and their wives tend to be the independent, free-spirited, strong women who are always like traveling, going off. So they don't really see this. When I was bringing up like men being intimidated, they're like, what do you mean? They didn't even know what I was talking about. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, it. some men, they don't they don't like it, you know, like that, like, so, I mean, I just want to hear from a man's perspective, you know, if someone just say your partner was taking off all the time and, you know, like, how does that make you feel? Or like, you know, like with men, cause what I feel like, I don't want to assume, but I feel like they tend to be attracted to, you know, people who are career oriented, like it's really sexy, you know, all this strong stuff, but then emotionally when it comes down to it, I feel like they can't handle it, you know? So they choose someone who tends to be more timid. And of course it's a balance, but I've seen some of my guy friends who have chosen, and I I will quote one of them who said like, yes, you think you want a partner that does everything you want them to do, but you actually don't, you know, you want one that has an opinion and challenges you, but then he would get really intimidated when a woman would do that. (laughs) So how does it come off from, you know, a male's point of view. I mean, for me, I, you know, I, I do love a woman with an opinion and I love a woman who has her own passions and her own desires and what she wants to do with her life, especially because then I think there's a lack of feeling of responsibility for those things. You know, it's like, uh, then you won't depend, then I can love the stuff I do and my own identity and my passions. If you love yours, you know, I don't have to like convince you that this is a passion I get to pursue or And I think about it, how it's so systemically embedded in us that like for a man, we are so taught that our worth is found in our ability to provide that when our partners in a heteronormative sense are providing, and I forget what percentage of relationships that the woman now out earns the man, but it's 
much higher. There's a lot of men who will be naturally attracted to that, but not know how to hold it because it means they have to rearrange their own identity Mm. in like, oh, wait, I have to know that my identity comes from my kindness or my generosity or my ability to caretake or whatever it is that, and also that that value is recognized by the partner too, because I think that can be, it's like, we want someone, we want a partner who supports us in those things, but we also, I've noticed this. And I had this conversation with some female friends about how like when a man actually creates space for their opinion, they have a part of them that doesn't actually trust or respect the man because he's not modeling what masculinity has taught, what they've been taught is a masculine man. So it's like this interesting conflict. I want a man who's like that, but when he shows up, I test him and I don't trust him. So I think for men, for us men, I mean, we're learning how to find worth in other things. And I, it, it, it requires us being connected to our own passions in order to understand that our, our, you know, our worth is found in that, not in our, you know, our ability to pay bills, although that can be helpful. Right. Right. And yeah, I think it could just be a tricky balance too, like in today's era, you know, that balance of, because I still love that Pete, wants to pay for us when we go out or when I go shopping, he wants to pay for the stuff I pick out. It's, it's very traditional. I don't need it, but I like that he wants to do it. But then there's, I guess everyone's just different, you know, cause there's some women who just like don't want that at all, or they don't want any chivalry. Like they want completely equal, you know? So. Uh, yeah. Which I think, you know, that yeah, I did a video not long ago on who should pay for the first date. And then the follow-up video, because that one caused so much controversy, (laughs) was, is it a red flag if he doesn't? And I was so fascinated by this response because I thought, okay, well, if we're just talking about a bill and two people, not date, not male, female, just two people, the desire, like, should they split it or not is so simple. It's not emotional. It's so simple. It's just literally a logistic thing. But holy shit, it was amazing the amount of beliefs that were fired up. People were so triggered in the comments. And it made me really think about like, if you're triggered by this, then you have so like, why is a man's worth living his ability to pay for your coffee on a first date? Not saying that chivalry is not great, but why do we, why is it a red flag if he doesn't, he doesn't, I saw people writing comments like he clearly doesn't like you if he doesn't pay on the first day. I'm like, imagine actually how progressive it is actually potentially that you split it or that, you know, he at least has that conversation to even have that conversation is so progressive. And I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. Like I was then inviting people to explore. Why are you so emotional about this? And why, what is the story behind this? The, the attachment, like who taught you these things? Cause they're not yours. It should be just a simple logistic conversation. Right. Right. So knowing that distinction, I mean, it's okay to have a preference, right? Yeah. But just knowing just because this person does this does not mean this, but you can absolutely have that preference. Like I would really love a partner who would want to pay for myself. I, I like that he wants to do it. I, I think that's fine. But I think having that distinction of what it is versus what you're making it mean. And where does the desire come from? And if let's say you go on a I mean, splitting a coffee is kind of like, well, right, you pay 350, I'll pay 350. I get that. I understand. 
But so let's say it's dinner, right? And it's a first date, which dinner to me on a first date, too much. Just go for a coffee, go for a walk. Like yeah. you don't it, need to be I, investing yeah. lots of money. This is a filtering process. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't filter with $70, filter I, with $7. I, I agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think about this of, though, if that actually where people were coding that many people, mostly women as a red flag, men are like, why is this a red flag? They're all like, I thought you wanted equality. So there was a lot of confusion, but I was thinking about this of like, in that conversation, when you're going to split that dinner bill, that actually to me is like leaving space, believing you can provide for yourself, believing you can pay for yourself, that, that there is this space for the other person to show up. And we would so quickly dismiss that person because they did it, that we would miss actually a green flag right. that this person admires you, respects you, respects your space as a woman to show up for yourself. And when you, you, there is a surrendering and maybe a providing, because there's something about paying that also creates in the science of influence, they talk about reciprocity. We know this is true in sales. When you give a gift, people then feel the need to give back or to owe. And that's why a lot of people don't like having stuff paid for because there's an innate contract that gets created. And so what a fascinating thing to be able to discuss, you know, instead of people losing their fucking minds. I'm telling you, they were losing their goddamn minds. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty logical, so I, I understand. However, I, I will acknowledge that I do have the preference or it just, it makes me feel good that you know, when they want, I'd when they, to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just like, I like doing it for people too, but just, it always made me, makes me feel good when, uh, my husband wants to pay. I went on a first date once years ago and we went for dinner. That's when I learned never go for dinner on a first date. <laughs> and I think like seven minutes into the conversation, I was already like, no. And then she told, she said that she really liked the Vancouver Canucks and I hate the Vancouver Canucks. It was like an instant, everything was just adding up, you know? And that <laughs> was the day that I decided like never again am I doing dinner on a first date. It's going to be a beach walk. If they don't find value in those types of things. I remember the next girl I dated, I was getting ready for the date and I put on like, you know, those shoes that are called Sinooks? Yes. Like the like beachy types of shoes. I remember thinking like, oh, I want to wear these. And I was like, no, they're not like formal enough. And I was like, no, this woman doesn't like my shoes. Like doesn't, that's really like an expression of who I am, my style. And I was like, and I remember the first thing she said when I saw her was, I love your shoes. And I was like, that was the next woman I dated. And, yeah. you know, so it shows you that when you're just authentically showing up as yourself and not oh. trying to dress up for it. Oh, totally. And it saves your time too, because I... I have this thing about, I mean, I would hate if it was done to me. Like, I don't want to be bamboozled. Like, I want to see bamboozled. Who, <laughs> I want to see who the person is. Like, in the movie When Harry Met Sally, he says, I don't, like, I never wanted to pick someone up from the airport at the beginning of the relationship. Because things move on. And then eventually they're, they're going to say, why don't you pick me up from the airport anymore? So I, <laughs> I try to show up like that. Like, I didn't, I didn't do anything different in the beginning with Pete. I'm not going to wax anything because that shit hurts. You know, like you're just going to get me. And if, <laughs> and if you love me for that, I know this is going to be a good thing because I never want to feel like I have to be on. I hate feeling like I have to be on. And if can you imagine not feeling comfortable with your significant other? 
Like, I, I really wouldn't want that. Well, I think that's part of the veil that is in, so like that shadow side of independence, right? The guardedness, the performative behavior, achievement, you know, like perfectionism, that that's that, like, I'm going to show up as what I think they want. Yes. And that right away, you're putting on a mask. And I find that, and, and you know, you and I met at a personal growth conference. So, you know, these are conversations we've often had, but it's like, Two people then are meeting their representatives, not each other. And then the relationship itself is based on the representatives. And they're the ones having dinner. And they're the ones having the conversations. They're the ones avoiding intimacy and depth and conflict. And then inevitably, the truth comes. You know, the, the reality, the reactivity. And, and then fucking that, the representative can't hold space for the truth. Oh, totally. You know, and the honeymoon phase is just a phase. You know, and I, I mean, if you're in it for the long term, if what you want to create is a long term relationship, you have to think about what's important long term. Do you see a lot of in your experience, like with your friends and the women that, you know, you know, you work with now, do you see a lot of foregoing long term qualities and that kind of thing for, I mean, I don't want to say short term bursts, but you know what I mean? Like for anything. What they say they want is not matching what they're choosing. Is that your experience yes. a lot of the time? Uh, yes. Yes. Where I, I just feel like it's too judgmental in the beginning. Like just because, because we have, you know, we have this idea in our heads. I feel like of what we think our match is going to be like, what, you know, kind of relationship it's going to be. Mm-hmm. For example, one of my girlfriends just met someone who, I mean, so far I think he's, a great match. You know, she's just continuing to get to know him, but she made the comment that like, she's like, I don't know. Like sometimes there's like awkward silences or it could feel a little (laughs) awkward. And, you know, I'm like, is that a deal breaker though? You know, you guys are still getting to know each other. Like if, I mean, who knows why he's doing that? He could be, I I met him. So I think he could be a little shy, you know, or nervous, like who knows what the reason is, but I was just telling her like, you know, cause in her mind, the ideal partner, you'd have like bouncy conversations and everything would just like flow so easily from the beginning, God, which always feels nice, but that doesn't necessarily, just because everything's perfect in the beginning and they know exactly how you want to talk and how you want to have sex and all that, that does not determine if they're going to be a long-term partner. You know, if they're good at a lot of things, like a lot of women say, like the guy has to be better at me at stuff and smarter than me. Otherwise I get really turned off. I'm like, you're super capable. Women are super capable now. There's going to be something that you're better than him at, right? And that, and also just focusing on those kind of qualities is not, does that determine if they're going to be a good partner? Like, yeah, he's an awesome DJ, but like, what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen when you're like crying your eyes out? Like, how is he showing up? <laughs> Although the mixing the record could be a good skill from the handset. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Mixing the mic. What? That was a good joke. I agree. I think that's fascinating. That space of, of like awkward silences, which to him actually might be peaceful connections and to her are awkward. So he might be sitting there telling his friends, like, sometimes we just sit in silence and I just appreciate her and I just love her presence. And she's like, you know, he doesn't just, I, I would imagine that in my relational experiences, I'm sure you can attest to this as my friend there probably would be some appreciation of an awkward silence for me sometimes because I can fill a space, no problem. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, so you can. I have a podcast just for that. <laughs> so I don't have to do it in my relationship. But there's that you'd think like, we're so in need of stimulus all the time, Instagram, all the things that like, just to be able to appreciate a moment, it's not a red flag, you know, it's actually such a green flag. Right. And you can, you know, if you're curious, you can ask about it. Cause I was telling you, I'm like, you never know why. Cause I mean, I used to get nervous. I actually, I still can be socially awkward or nervous around people that I don't know. I'm like, so you don't know what's going on in his head. And for the times that people were really patient with me and gave me a chance, I was so grateful for it. Whenever they would be patient with me and give me a chance because yeah, sometimes I was nervous or I was awkward or I didn't know what to say, or maybe I was comfortable in silence, you know, but it was nice that people would, it always felt nice when people gave it a chance and they didn't automatically assume, you know, something about it. It's amazing that we code quietness or silence or someone not, you know, not doing too much as being a lack of connection or boring or not realizing that love in and of itself is actually calm. It's secure. It is safe. Calm. Yes. And that's, I think that's how I recognized Pete was different too, because the feeling was calm when I looked at him. It wasn't, oh, M F G butterflies and like your logical thinking goes out the door. I was just like, huh. You know, like it, it feels kind of like home and mm. it felt really nice. And of course there's, I mean, I think this is why community is important too. So one thing that I did before I met Pete was hang out with a lot of my friends who were in marriages that I admired. Mm. I think they're the best examples, like better than any relationship coach or, you know, you could do as many studies as you want, but they actually have the result that I'm looking for. So I'm watching like, how do you show up? What do you do? Da, da, da. And many of them had a really good community of friends because it's not fair and it's impossible to get everything you want out of one person. So for example, with my husband, Pete, you know, he tends to be more quiet. He's not into social media the way I'm into. And sometimes like I have to ask him, like, can you help me take a picture, take a video? He'll never offer just because he's not on it. He doesn't, it doesn't occur to him. However, when I'm with my other friends who are into it, you know, I don't even have to ask. They automatically will help me. We're traveling and like get really awesome photos of me and do all that. And it, there's that ease and, or my business friends were taught, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. And, and that's okay. That's okay that I get it from different people. And if I think that, if I say that, I wish I got that out of my husband or that he would be more opinionated or talk more, I have to be honest with myself and know that that would actually annoy me. Like <laughs> if that was the person in my house forever, like if they sp talked all the time, you know, I'm like, I want it <laughs> peaceful. And when I, I need that, I'm going to go out, I'm going to call my friends. <laughs> Well, I, I think of that saying from Esther Perel, where she said, like, we seek from a relationship what we used to get from a village. And, yeah. and that's so true community. And I, I'm guessing that I'm thinking of the couple, one of the couples, when you tell that story. And I so agree, like being around them, the ones that I'm thinking of, and, and the ones that I know within my own life, there's just such a deep level of respect for one another. And also, not an expectation that their partner complete their world and that there's a patience. There really is a patience. And, but that respect part, I just see the respect so much, this like admiration for one another 
And, and I, I remember writing a post not that long ago where I was saying like, if your relationships are chaos, you're chaos. Like, I wish I could be nicer about it because I'm sure that makes someone then feel shame or chaotic, but it's to say like your outside world matches your inside world. And I never used to like that saying, cause I didn't like my outside world sometimes. And then it was really just a validation of what I knew to be true. And, and I think that's such a beautiful invitation to Lacey Phillips calls them to surround yourself with expanders, people who force you to grow, who force you to expand and become like them. And I mean, our friendship has certainly been that for me because you've always held such a patient and loving space, but one that is also, and I, you know, I, I, I'd be curious as, I think this is in your book, but I'd be curious of that part of like gently calling or not always gently calling the other person forward into their best self. Absolutely. And gently, that's something I had to learn too. <laughs> yes, I will agree with you that you did need to learn gentleness, but I will allow your culture to be <laughs> your mother. I met your mother. We've had a great chat and I see where the lack of gent- gentility, that's not a word, but you know what I mean? Gentleness. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The one thing I had to learn was better communication because I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught good communication growing up so that I've always been interested in it and it makes life a lot easier. And I'm appreciative when people communicate well with me. So I try to give, I try my best to give that back. I'm curious in your book, what are the, like if someone's listening to this, what are the things that they will find that they need in there? The first thing is clarity. You just really need to know what you want. Healing, being honest with yourself of the parts of you that are hurt. Cause it's easier to say, especially for a strong woman, like, Oh, that like I'm pissed off. You know, it's easier to say that than you really hurt me mm-hmm. and going there. And they also find someone who has been in their shoes. Cause I, I know this, I know the person I'm writing to cause it's the old me. So I mm-hmm. completely empathize um, with people who are there And I also, I put some general dating and relationship advice. Of course, everything is, it's different for everyone. You have to find what works for you. But those are the things I put in the book are the things that were super, super helpful for me to get clear about what I wanted and make the process faster too, to not get distracted. And because I was just doing the same thing over and over. And I remember the moment that I was so sick of feeling a certain way. I was like crying and like, I plopped myself on the couch and I'm like, I am sick of feeling this way. And my friend was there and he looked at me like, like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and in that moment I had decided for myself, cause you could do all the personal growth you want and courses and read all the memes. But when you're ready for it, you'll know when you're tired of your mm. it and tired of the same patterns. Like you have to do something differently if you want a different result. Mm, amen to that. That, And I can give you a live testimonial that I have watched you navigate this journey and, and got to be along your side and watched you move from that like overtly independent to soften to welcoming Pete into always being introspective. And I think one of the things that has always impressed me about you is your your formerly very large consumption of personal growth content, but your ability to streamline it, funnel it. And so to know that you put out a book where 
and you're gonna you're not into bullshit so it's not filled with puppy dog and ice cream stuff it's like here's how you get the result you want you're a high achieving person do this Let's be efficient with it because with love, we <laughs> tend to want to like romanticize it too. And like yeah. analyze things into the ground. Like, Oh, he's only like that. Cause he's like a Scorpio with the Leo rising moon. I'm like, Holy shit. Like look at the important <laughs> things. Like look at him right now. Look at the values. You're upset. He's not showing up. But Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> so, you know, that's, <laughs> I love that because that is like, Connect to the truth. Stop using spiritual stuff to get around the truth. Stop using all the bullshit to avoid touching what's real. When you touch what's real, then you can change. Absolutely. The fundamental stuff. So it's the balance of the passion versus like the practical stuff. Relationships have a practical side to them. And it's not the most romantic. It's not the sexiest part of it. But to have a functioning relationship, a functioning long-term relationship it's necessary. So that's what the book is about because I, I mean, I'm guilty of, I wanted to romanticize it and I was addicted to like the push and pull and turbulent and to the point where I wasn't looking at how to be efficient with this. Like I was so good at in all the other parts mm, of my life. Interesting. Yeah. So this, yeah, the book really just like gets to the point, you know, and asks you questions. A lot of the questions I ask at the end of the chapters, it's, it's to help you get clear, you know, and they're very, very simple questions, but once you know them, as long as you have great boundaries and you stick with them, you'll have what you want. I think about those two extremes, you know, that you can experience love as chaos because of what you grew up with or, you know, what you saw it as being defined, like love was someone not showing up, not being dependable, having addictions, being abusive, right? So then it becomes this sort of toxic definition of love. And then it's so easy to get caught in those patterns because they're just familiar. We think this is just how life is. And we sort of subdue and submit to that. And then there's that other side that we're overtly exposed to Disney movies or these romanticized ideals. And of course the, the reality is, is that love is both has romance and fleeting moments in the honeymoon phase, but it also has challenges and conflict. It's just that that should all be navigated with health and security and safety as the cornerstone. Like yeah. just because we're in conflict doesn't mean I don't feel loved by you, right. you know, and, and, and vice versa. And I think that that work of, of filtering through what is getting in the way so that we can actually get the thing we want. You don't need to read 97 books. Just, just commit to doing something. Absolutely. Doing something differently if you want a different result and creating that fundamental foundation and base, cause that's more important. And then you can add, you know, the fun, you know, the stuff that's more fun, but just don't forget about the fundamental stuff. Well, and I love that there's a guide to doing, to getting very serious about what you want, because one of, if you don't know what you want, then when you're swiping right or you're dating, you won't know if it actually matches to what you want. And saying you don't know what you want is just another way of self-sabotaging and not having to have boundaries and say no and like commit to actually getting something. So interesting that we can be high achievers in like work. But then when it comes to relationships, we're like, yeah, you know what? I got a 65 <laughs> in my last relationship. It's a C minus, but I... I get A's everywhere else. So C minus just, I mean, I feel a little more balanced there. That's so fucking weird that we do that. It, it is weird. It feels weird now that there was a point in my life where I found that acceptable. 
Me too, but from <laughs> myself too, you know, that I'm like, I'm a C, although I was like a C kind of student. So that makes sense. It just showed, I'm like, I'll I would, be like a C in relationships. <laughs> I was an A. Of tiger, course you were. Tiger I mom. Knew that. Yeah, tiger mom. You can't bring home a B. No. Oh. I've seen your mom get mad about food. I couldn't imagine bringing home a report <laughs> card with a B on it. <laughs> so for all those people listening who are like, okay, let's get, because of course, if they're listening, they're like, okay, yeah, just where do we get the damn thing? Oh, yeah. So where do people get the book? Where it, do they find more about you? It's The book is available on Amazon. It's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women. It's available in on Kindle and also in paperback. And if you want to read more blog posts from me, my website is christinechang.com. And your Instagram? C. Chang and Co. C. Chang and Co. C. Chang and Co. At C. Chang and Co. Chang, and Co. Chang spelled C-H-A-N-G, by the way. I have to recommend that you follow Christine because just for the highlights of Pete and her mom in her stories, it is absolutely worth following her. As well for the blog post links and all those things. You write really wonderful blog posts. Oh, thanks. But you're right. People do. They watch my stuff the most when Pete or my mom are on it. I mean, it is hilarious. So I <laughs> I recommend everyone watch it because her mom imparts knowledge every once in a while. And it is one of the best things. <laughs> well, I will say this tip. I don't know if you want to put it in, but this tip for uh, Insta stories and stuff. I mean, people just like, it's like reality TV. They just want to see what you're doing and it, you don't have to be doing anything. So if I'm like in bed with Pete or he's sleeping, like people just love seeing that. So if you want to boost, if you're building a personal brand, besides posting the stuff that you want, you know, all that content, people just want to see the boring stuff you're doing. Isn't that so crazy? Yeah. But I mean, it's cool too, because from a business standpoint, it's pretty easy. I mean, for me, I just, I like sharing my life too. Like, I feel like I'm the best version of myself when I'm like self-expressed and I don't care what I'm posting, you know, maybe it's not like I might look like crap or whatever, but I feel good that I can share it. That's beautiful. Well, everybody, there's also a branding tip. <laughs> yes. Cool. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I love you. I thank appreciate you. I love you. you.